This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. And I say, hey, what a wonderful kind of day. If you could learn to work and play, and get along with each other. Welcome everyone to Wednesday War Games episode 22. Liam is on excursion. He's a young boy. He's actually looking for a home because no one will give him money. Or no, no, no one will take his money for a home. So I've had to replace him. I've usually referred to Liam as my loyal and steadfast co-host, but no. He's gone forever or until next week. So I have drafted in a replacement. The, I, I guess, still technically host the rest round table. Robin Reed. Rob, how are we doing? Perhaps, maybe still co-host. Who knows? Not even me, really. Uh, hello, uh, I'm Robin, and it's a pleasure to be here, Garrett. In order to test your knowledge and see are you fit to, to, to co-host this podcast, uh, we, we, we put everyone through the test of, can you recite all the lyrics of Judas? I could. Can you actually? I think. <laughs> I, could I? I? I'm not sure. Like, I, I think I could go from the beginning. We are beautiful. <laughs> This is, the, this is not the first podcast I've ever done with you that has just descended into Rob Reed's lyrics. This is actually a lot like the experience of AEW Dynamite, because as we'll get to when we talk about the show, and I'll just talk over Rob in the background, it's fine. But Jericho now lays out for the crowd to sing his theme song every time. So, uh, like, he, he, he forces this thing along now. Even when he's not wrestling, even when they're not playing the full theme, he, he makes people stand there. Well, actually, he stands there and waits. He doesn't make people do anything, but people sing his song. I'm waiting to, to lay out on the what have I become. And then he can kick into the chorus with, like, the full, the full gusto of everything that he has. Is there something no, left of me to say <laughs> in the wreckage of my life? My life. I'm becoming, I'm becoming, I'm becoming, I'm becoming, I'm becoming, I'm becoming. Judison, Judison, my life. And that's where they cut it off. So that's 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 the test pass. That's, that's where we'll stop. That's where we'll stop. I I'm not sure where I would go from there. I I feel like somewhere in my mind are the follow-up lyrics, but not sure if they'd be at the top. If, like that's that's where they cut the theme song so like that's all you need to know if you go to an all elite wrestling you need to get the judas in judas in my mind that's all that's as far as you need to learn like it, it is in my my rotation it does sometimes pop up when i'm in the shower so yeah, it's it's a song that i've listened to probably more than i care to admit but what a theme what a theme now you have to sing rhea ripley's theme song in the interest of power <laughs> <laughs> You know what? That is also in my shower rotation, but it annoys me. It annoys me because, like, I enjoy it for, like, the first 45 seconds-ish, and then it's like, this is just the same thing over and over again. But, you know, YouTube music, you can't do, like, the skip after 45 seconds thing. Mm. That'd be useful. Anyway, complete sidetrack. So yes, as always, we're talking about All Elite Wrestling and AE... Yeah, no, the other one too. And WWE NXT, <laughs> because AEW was the preferred show last week, we will cover it first. We'll actually, no, we'll, do, we'll do a preamble. Rob, what's your relationship with All Elite Wrestling and NXT? Right, so I will admit right up front um, to save me from angry tweets, or maybe it will lead to angry tweets, who knows. Uh, I am not 
a regular weekly viewer of both shows in their entirety. I will pop in for hype segments, so in general, that that means I see uh, usually about half an hour to 45 minutes of Dynamite each week. A lot more since the beginning of the year, admittedly. A lot less before that when they were, uh, you know, really going hard on the Dark Order and stuff like that. And then NXT, it's really just the occasional match because not a whole lot of stuff getting hype out of that, especially in, you know, kind of the, the stuff that that I enjoy. Um, Long-term-wise, though, NXT has been something that I've enjoyed a lot, um, especially the tag division over the, what, probably the last three, four years now, basically ever since the that American Alpha revival era, the tag division has been one of my favourite consistent things in wrestling, albeit basically one match every takeover. It's not like a whole, whole huge amount of something, but it's been one of my favourite consistent things in wrestling ever since. Whereas AEW, it's been something I kind of have struggled with a little bit because it, it's never quite been what I hoped it would be. But recently, I've been learning to love what it is. Um, anyway, it's it's not quite the the pure sports that. Let's be honest, it was probably never going to be. But it's it, it kind of it, it hinted that it might be, and it got got me all excited because you know I'm I'm the the pure sports wrestling guy. But recently, basically since the turn of the year, I've incredibly enjoyed a lot of what they've put out, and I've kind of gone. Okay, it's not that that pure sports thing. It is more of like the the story style, the story storytelling genre of wrestling. But it's a damn good um, presentation and 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 damn good version of that. Yeah, it's been very strange to like as as, as you've watched AEW find an identity, which is kind of understandable. They're a new company. They're they're a bunch of new creative minds as well. A bunch of people who have not worked in creative capacities in wrestling at all, basically all trying to mush together their, all their individual visions of what pro wrestling should be. And it, uh, that you felt it. You really felt that for a while. It's like, you have these people over here doing this thing and these people over here doing this thing. And there's some of that pure sports. And look at all these, these records. And sometimes the records don't make a great deal of sense. Sometimes people who have never won a match are ranked above people who have won matches. And I don't care about your arguments for people. <laughs> people are like, oh, in college sports, they take into account the quality of victories. But yes, one victory no matter over who is better than the loss either that neither here nor there and eventually i think they did eventually ease all that out as as they worked out the, the kind of the more cody tony khan centric product that they i think they've ended up being and it's as it's much better off for it yes it already into its lifespan it feels a lot more coherent than it did uh, and that that you know that's a lot of props to that because i can imagine it, it's not an easy it, it probably can't be easy being in a room with a bunch of friends saying, yeah, we're going to have to kind of cut your creative ideas because they're not, they're not very good. Sorry. Sorry, friend, but not really a fan of what you think about wrestling, despite you dedicating your life to it. So, uh, what, what I think is going to be in charge now, I, I can't imagine that was a fun conversation, but the product is better for it. I'd love to record those meetings. They should record those <laughs> meetings. It's like, Matt, your idea is terrible. <laughs> like I can just imagine like the the meeting after that that Dark Order episode where they closed out the show and it got awful reviews I can just imagine Tony Khan kind of sitting there going like just you know giving knowing looks being like mm, 
did I did I tell you? Did I tell you? I kind of told you. Let's let's go in a different direction. Let's let's go over here instead. Which one of us has had to delete our Twitter this week? I'm just gonna say. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> like, even the little snippets you like, you kind of hear of like Cody saying like, "Oh, I love Kenny, but I don't like him." Like that just gives you a little bit of insight to what it must be like. It it must be some juicy stuff. It's all the infighting that you hear about. All the unreported infighting. All Elite Wrestling opened with John Moxley, new AEW champion John Moxley. He won the belt against off Chris Jericho at Revolution. Coming to the ring, doing his big celebrations, the celebration promo, which I don't know, it's pretty generic. It's like I did it for you, which is like every babyface celebration promo ever. Which both you can't knock him for, but also come on, John, you can do better than this belt. This title win is for you, and I'm going to be a fighting champion. That's every babyface. And then Chris Jericho comes out, interrupts him. Jericho blowdy blows for a while. Before saying that if John Moxley doesn't walk out of here, if if John Moxley does walk out of here on his own two feet tonight, he'll leave AEW for sixty days. Thirty days and then pushed up to sixty days. He he doubled down. I love the way Chris Jericho. He doesn't even need to be prompted to double down. He's like thirty days. <laughs> no, sixty days. Yeah, this this whole thing. The highlight was probably the Judas sing along, mm. um, which you know probably says all, all it needs to be said it it wasn't awful it was fine and it's a segment that probably will get some criticism for being very raw it feels very raw esque but the thing is like the thing that makes it so bad with raw is that it's every episode mm-hmm. whereas obviously dynamite probably more weeks than not at this point is opening with a match so having it as the problem with Raw is that every every show ends up with someone coming out to the ring talking and getting interrupted and challenging and, and blah de blah de blah We all know the, the standard Raw trope. That hasn't happened a ton with AEW. It's happened this week. It set up something. It wasn't anything to blow your socks off that you need to go out and watch, but it was, it was fine. It's also full-on charming Chris Jericho. My favourite part was him giving out that he spent four weeks preparing to wrestle a one-eyed man and it was totally unfair that he could see yeah it, it's one of those things where like you have to be really charismatic to get away with that and goddamn chris is because um, if that came from someone with a, a tiny bit less charisma it's just like this is cartoony bullshit and like it's not compelling in any way whereas he did it it's like this is comp- cartoony bullshit and it's brilliant it it it's perfect for him I, I, he has been a revelation of how good he's been at playing almost like a WWE-esque character outside of WWE and it's just worked so well he is basically that that satire of WWE except good <laughs> yeah it's he stands out because he you can you can sense the little bit of freedom that he's got and he stands out because he's not in WWE so he stands out from the rest of the roster. It, 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 there are elements of it that shouldn't work, but he just carries with his charisma. And there's elements of it that that are just just wonderful in that they they almost harness meme culture in a in a stupid way, but it it just all works. It, it's what a man Chris Jericho is. What a man. He is wrestling observer, best on interviews with, with a very good cause. I, I had not seen that, but well deserved. <laughs> well well done, deserved. Chris. You didn't. You didn't stringently go through the Wrestling Observer Awards. 
I did not. I did not. I've only just got back in straight for this podcast. So, you know, dedicated to you, Dagara. Dedicated. So that that sets up our main event later tonight of uh, Jericho and Sammy Guevara against Sean Moxley and Darby Allen. That takes us on to, who, who doesn't love a good uh, a Dark Order eight-man tag team match? The Dark Order uh, were defeated by Colt Cabana and SCU in a fun, if kind of forgettable, eight-man tag team match. Yeah, it was fine. It was it was a pretty good uh, debut for, well, I guess, kind of debut for Cabana. Wrestling debut for Cabana. Um, it, it, it kind of, for the people who may be less familiar with him, which it's probably a decent chunk of the audience, I thought it was a good introduction. It got him over well. And it, it gave Dark Order a loss so that, you know, they I think they were going into this one, they were number one in the rankings and they probably don't want them there. So it was a good good excuse to kind of bump them down a little. It's, it's an interesting problem for the AEW tag team division at the moment because Kenny and Hangman are champions. They've beaten the Young Bucks. They've defeated SEU. They've beaten the Lucha Bros. In theory, Dark Order, are they next? Or do they start pushing up maybe best friends into that spot? And when do Kenny and Hangman explode? Do they ex- Who do they explode against? All these questions for the tag team division. Maybe Butcher and the Blade or something like that, yeah. Oh, um, oh no. <laughs> Not a fan. Um, now, now this might be something where, because I only watch the hype bits of Dynamite, so unsurprisingly I don't see a ton of Dark Order every week. Does Uno always wrestle in the vest, or is that new? I think that he didn't always, but it's it, it, it's not new, but it's, it's it, 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 it was a, a conscious change, I think. Maybe it, after It's Christmas. a definite improvement. It's a definite improvement. And like they are, they're one of the best tag teams in the company. It's just the, the whole shtick is what holds them back. They're they're undeniably uh, Smash Bros. It's a tremendous tag team. They've had good tag team matches in AEW as well. None, I don't think they've quite had a great tag team match yet. So them against like the, it's probably not the worst idea to give them a television program against Kenny and Hangman. They've had very good Buck style matches in the past, and you know Kenny and Hangman wrestle a pretty similar style to the Bucks, so. There's no reason why it can't be very good, other than maybe that they're not very over at the moment. But, uh, like, it'd be a good way to maybe get them a bit more over. So after the match, Evil Uno cuts a promo. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. The Exalted One is still near, but not here. And they're still rolling. I wonder, how long can they tease the Exalted One before people lose interest? Because I feel like we're reaching that critical mass. Like, if it's not the next next week or the week after, it'll reach the stage where it's like, people will start being like, all right, I'll just tune out the Dark Order until whoever the Exalted One is. Do you have a prediction for the Exalted One, Rob? See, my hope a few weeks ago was that they do the, the thing that's rarely done in wrestling and that the red herring is actually the reveal and that it would have been Chris Daniels. And it, he would have just kind of gone back to his early Ring of Honor prophecy character. Um, I would have quite liked that, but it obviously doesn't look like they're going in that direction now. So uh, my gut, I think, is similar to yours in that Matt Hardy is not actually coming and he's just going for leverage and then probably going to show up again at WrestleMania. So honestly, I have very little idea. What I, someone suggested this in the voice of the wrestling fact. I don't remember who it was, so I can't give them credit. But I think it's a very good idea. I think they should reveal it as Matt, even if Matt Hardy's not signed. Reveal it as Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy comes out, Dark Order, like, ah, Matt Hardy. And then they turn on him. And that's that's like the evil who knows actually the exalted one all along. But I think that, that would be like, because it can be Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy's super duper popular. He'd be a big baby face. It makes no sense that it's Matt Hardy. But if it's Matt Hardy and they turn on him, that's good heat for the Dark Order. 
like storyline wise it kind of makes no sense but... don't worry about it it's a dark order you don't have to think it about would it. work it would work i agree i agree wrestling has to, wrestling doesn't have to work on a logical level wrestling has to work on an emotional level and that's all you need you don't once you once your heart accepts it rather than your brain you're fine See, this is why I have so many problems with wrestling, because I don't really have that hard thing. I, uh, <laughs> the more the robotic analysis, which leaves me far too upset far too often. I've chosen the wrong hobby, really. Yeah, there's, there's no feeling in the world. There was no feeling when you watched Big Swole and Leva Bates either, though, was there? That was... You know, I was actually impressed by that match. I was impressed by how, in such a short match, Leva managed to pack so many awkward moments. Yeah. She's not very good. She she took, like, two moves, and she was out of position for, like, three of them somehow. Like, how's that happened? Mm. There was that one bit where, like, they circled round each other for a bit because... Very strange. <laughs> they were wrongly positioned, and then there was that bit where, like, Leva hit a move, and then they kind of awkwardly wandered around for a bit, and then she kind of jumped into the arms of Swole to take them. This was really bad. It was only 80 seconds long as well. <laughs> Like, squash matches shouldn't be able to be that bad. Like, it, it was really an indictment of the AEW women's division with, like, if you don't have the depth to have a... Because, you know, Swole didn't cover herself in glory, but surely you've got, like, some women there that you're not currently pushing that you could have put in the lever spot, but apparently not. Apparently not. We had Britt Baker on commentary, which I assume is building to Swole against Britt Baker, which I'm sure will be so much better. I mean, it, you, I get the sense that that's a joke, but it'll probably be a little bit better. <laughs> it can't get much worse. So. The bar has been set so low. <laughs> See, that's the on-the-sly way to make Britt look good. This is a bad Brit week, actually. There's, the, Brit is a very variable character where occasionally she's like entertaining and occasionally she's just very boring. And I don't remember, I've heard if this match wasn't long enough for her to make a particularly large impression. But I don't remember a single thing she said on commentary, so. She said, like, I think it was Excalibur said, like, oh, so you're familiar with uh, Swole from being in the, the ba a battle royal with her. And she was just like, was she? Oh, I had no idea. Oh, that was a good line. Mm. That's, that's an okay line. Yeah. I mean, it was 80 seconds. Like, it, it was kind of weird to have her out there on commentary for such a short period, but I guess they just kind of wanted to get her on TV. That's basically to say, when, when they do swall against Britt Baker, it doesn't, I guess, come out of nowhere. Yeah. Cody comes out, he's not that... Well, is he upset? He's more like, you beat me fair and square, Max, which... Or well, he, he, no, he, what, what did he... He talked for a while before he was interrupted. He did a weird office. thing where he was like... I was annoyed initially professionally, then it was personal, now it's professional again because losing meant I won less money. And I was like, that that's that's really weird angle to go at it. Also, Matt, like, like MJF cheated as well. So like it's not like you beat him clean. I don't know what which version you, you saw. I was watching the, the fight version, so I was seeing through through the um the ad breaks as well, his like promo to the crowd and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like the promo wasn't very good, but like he's got such a connection and um, such charisma that it it really worked. But like when you actually like thought about what he was saying, you were like, "That's like not a very good reaction to what just happened the previous week." And like, it's fine because the go away from this whole segment was the Jake Roberts stuff that that followed up. But it it was a it was an odd way to follow up what was meant to be kind of like 
I've been screwed out of a big win, I thought. You see, and, and fair, Jake Roberts then buries him for taking it so lightly. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess kind of that's works. That's true. That's true. But yeah, it's, it's very strange that he's like out there and he's like, ah, well, it's, 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 it's basically like an all shocks reaction, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it, it was odd. It was odd. It, it was not what I would have expected, definitely. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the little fight interlude because he came out and they went to break, so you're standing there for whatever the 2.30, 3.30, whatever the ad break is. I do like the touch that it, during that ad break, he thanks all the cameramen and the people at ringside and all the people that don't get shout-outs on wrestling shows. And I think that's a, a nice, classy touch, Coadster. Shout-out, guys with the leaf blowers, which wasn't quite sure why were they were they blowing away confetti or something i guess confetti or sweat maybe if there's <laughs> can you blow away sweat with a leaf blower I'm, i don't they know. had two people out there with leaf blowers like i did not realize that was a part of a wrestling show but the more you know that's that's the power of watch getting to watch through the ad breaks i guess that's what what my five bucks on fight pays for <laughs> Uh, as you said, Cody was interrupted by Jake the Snake Roberts making his All Elite Wrestling debut. Jake comes, out, Jake comes out. He calls Cody a bitch. He said, I uh, didn't think you'd cry like a bitch. He said bitch twice, which I approve of. Um, <laughs> he said Cody got his ass kicked and he's bringing his own client to AEW and the dark side will be unleashed. Which, when, I, when he said the dark side, like my heart skipped a beat because I thought he was going to say like the dark order. And like, Jake Roberts, probably a pretty good exalted one if you wanted to reveal him as the exalted one. But uh, I assume that's not the case. Now he, he spent 20 years getting sober. He's here and you never, he never, he always says never turn your back on somebody you respect or you fear. And then he turned his back through the microphone over his shoulder on like Mr. Perfect towel throwing levels. Cody caught it. He walked away. This is a great promo from Jake Roberts. I loved it. There, there was a lot of that throwing energy alongside the the QT apple throw. Mm. Like that, a lot of throwing energy on on this episode. Very much enjoyed. Very satisfying to watch. But yeah, this this was a great promo. And I mean, it, it's no secret that Jake Roberts is an incredible promo, but he hasn't missed a step. That they, they had that um, for for the women's battle royal uh, a few pay per views ago, where he was kind of doing the intro where he was smoking, and people got very mad about him smoking for some reason. Um, he was awesome there, and he has just carried that into this. Um, he is going to be an incredible manager, and yeah, they they did a really good. What I sense is that this is probably going to be like a, a diversion for Cody, and that he'll probably end up at the next pay per view up against MGF in some fashion, whether it's like a war games or something like that. But they want to kind of have a diversion in the meantime for him. And this was the perfect way to set it up. And it looks like they're sending MJF perhaps into a, a mini program with John Moxley. So they, they branch those two off and then probably, as you said, bring them back together for some kind of stipulation blow off come if it's as far as Double or Nothing or maybe earlier. Double or Nothing is only two months away at the state, so it's probably Double or Nothing. Which is is good. I One thing I, I've really enjoyed about AEW is that when people are, are feuding with people, other people on the roster still exist in their life mm. and that that doesn't happen nearly enough in well wwe um for a start or really most american wrestling promotions it's like the the one guy you're feuding with is the only person in your universe during the course of your feud whereas you know they, they they've done a good job of like weaving things in and out and having another what two months of mgf promos antagonizing cody wouldn't wouldn't work brilliantly maybe it, it maybe would get a little stale so having this diversion having uh jake come out was it worked um do you have 
Do you have any feel for who his opponent, uh, sorry, his client might be? I'm thinking maybe Archer. The the two clear candidates I'd imagine are either Brody Lee or Lance Archer. I'm leaning Lance Archer because Lance Archer was meant to debut on this episode of A Dynamite and he did not. Which tells me they held him back to do a big reveal next week. Oh, he's Jake Roberts' client and he's killing Cody. And I think, yeah, I think Lance Archer needs someone to talk to him more than Brody Lee does. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, the amount of big guys who have debuted attacking Cody is is yeah. amusing at this <laughs> I was point. Say, butchering the blade, <laughs> like, and just like ah, mean. <laughs> like Wardlow, etc., etc. But like it, it, it's a, it's a formula that's worked. So you know, he's the biggest babyface in the company. People can skill it. People will get over jumping him, and it works every time. Yeah. I guess unless you're the butcher in the blade, in which you know you're back to being a lower character tag team. The second you're done with them. Yeah. How, how far can you push Pepper Parks? Hey, you leave Braxton Sutter alone. <laughs> Pack defeated Chuck Taylor in, frankly, kind of a disappointing match. I, like, I, It was a 10-minute match, so you wouldn't expect the world from them, but I still expected something a little more than like a perfectly good, fine, completely, utterly forgettable television match. Yeah, it was weird. Like, I, I watched this match and was like, yeah, that was fine, and like, Pack looked good in that Pack always looks good in whatever he does. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's kind of all you can expect from a short match like that. And then I looked at the time and was like, oh, they didn't really make much use of that time, did they? Um, but, yeah, I, the, the one big takeaway for, for me from this that stuck in the mind was um, JR burying Chuck Taylor's body. He was like, yeah, he's got a really big frame and he does nothing with it. Like, he could be a really good wrestler if he just put on some muscle, you know? And I was like, JR, come on. Come on, you're not meant to bury the the good guys. Come on, that's it. I've uh, Jor. I find Jor <laughs> like I was watching a 2007 episode of Raw, and it was a, a John Cena Chris Benoit main event of all things. But he was like so enthusiastic, and so he was still even in 2007. Jor, he was still Jor, and now you watch him, and he's just like he's not only is he not a great announcer, he's forgotten what he's there for. He's not there to like past comments on Chuck Taylor's body he's there to get Chuck Taylor over like what's he doing he's like he's forgotten the fundamental job that him as the play-by-play announcer is meant to be there doing it's supposed to be getting these people over and explaining what they're doing and protecting them and if they screw up covering for them instead of exposing them and I'm just like what are you doing where, where did the JR that cared go the thing with him for me is that it, it's made to look so, so much worse by Tony Giovanni just showing up after not doing wrestling for ages and being excellent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what the old guy who who maybe isn't super in touch with modern wrestling, but but does put over the product. That's what that looks like. And it's juxtaposed right next to a guy who's, who's there. And every time you see something he doesn't like, he just goes you know what, I'm going to say I don't like this, despite me being the voice of the product. And it's like, come on, come on. Like, And in all honesty, when stuff is good, JR isn't generally that bad, I've found recently anyway. Like, I, I didn't have much of a problem with him um, during the big tag uh, at, at Revolution. I know some people had a little bit of a problem with him, be like, ah, you've got to get out of the ring, or whatever. But overall, I thought he was quite good for that. For the Cody stuff, he's obviously good. But it... That's almost the bit that it's easy to be a good announcer for. It, putting over something that's great is easy. The hard part of your job is to put over the stuff that's mediocre. And he does a terrible job at that. I think testament to Tony, 
at Revolution, Excalibur said that maybe Pack against Kenny Omega was maybe the best match to ever air on TNT. And Tony was like, you know what? I think you're right. And like, part of me thinks like JR is part of JR's brain. It's like, no, it was Jushin Liger against Brian Pillman on Nitro. <laughs> it's like, no, he just Tony's like, yeah, it was, and it, it probably is it better than any WCW Monday Nitro match. There's a good chance that that Iron Man match was better than any WCW Monday Nitro match. But yeah, it's like he just puts stuff over. He's there to have a good time, say everything is great, and put stuff over. And JR's, oh, I'm so sick of him. I'm like, ugh. What happened to you, man? What happened to you? What what happened that made you think I'm not there to protect these people anymore? My guess would be doing his time at like what was his title? Like talent relations or something? Like that kind of clouded things cuz in that role he he is there to kind of point out the faults and and try and make things better from the back end, but that's not something you do on air, is it? Like uh anyway, this segment it was it was fine. It was all about the follow-up, really. Indeed. After the match, Pac and the Lucha Bros attacked and laid out all three best friends and announced themselves as Death Triangle. <laughs> I love Death Triangle. It's such a dumb name. <laughs> I loved him. I, I know I attempt to do the Spanish because, one, I can't fully remember it, and, two, I don't speak Spanish, so my accent would be horrible. But him going, uh, my amigos would say, and then just handing the microphone to them. It's like, that's that's wonderful corny stuff, and it, and it just it just worked, man. Uh, what I really liked about this is I'm, I'm so impressed by that they found the perfect level for Orange Cassidy. Mm-hmm. They've... I kind of get the impression he wasn't initially meant to be featured this much, but obviously he got super over, so they're pushing him, but they've managed to push him in the right way, because Orange Cassidy is a character, and, you know, maybe some people will disagree, but I don't think it's a character you could push all the way up the card. I don't really think he could probably even really be in in huge semi-mains or something like that, but he can be featured, and they found, like, the perfect amount to feature him. They featured him to the maximum where it still works for his character, that fits his overness level, which is very. But also, he made his debut in the semi-main event of a pay-per-view, <laughs> which is like, yes, but it's wild. It's, it's wild that like his singles debut was the semi-main event of a big pay-per-view against Pac, and it was probably the second best match on the show. Right, right, but like it, it, it was the semi-main event, but it wasn't the number two match. No, no, it was probably a fourth or fifth, or something like that. Which is where you want him, really. It's, it's, they've, they've only given you the perfect concentrated shots of orange. Not the, the dilute, they haven't diluted the orange juice. It's just the perfect concentration. It's not squash. It's not squash. Jake Hager defeated QT Marshall in a match that I thought, like, it was only th- three minutes, I think, give or take. But QT Marshall got way too much in on Jake Hager. When did QT Marshall become this weird high flyer guy? It's been his entire uh, AEW thing where he does terrible looking flips and it is admittedly very charming. It's so strange because he was a guy who like... So in a life past, I was like a big Ring of Honor guy. Um, That's kind of where I started my internet wrestling fandom over on the ROHworld.com or whatever it was. Um... Cutie Marshall was a guy who came in and the locker room made fun of him for how boring a wrestler he was because he was like the the big old school guy who never left his feet, only did headlocks, that sort of thing. Um, Fans hated him. Uh, There was a big, they they had a night of hoopla show where like 
one of the things they were advertising was that Cutie Marshall wasn't booked. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> and they they did this little segment where like uh, he like he was he was in on the segment, but it the the, the segment was that. He wouldn't be there, and he wasn't there, and that was kind of the draw, um, which was, which was something. And then like he kind of disappears for what five, six, seven years or something, and then shows up in AEW as a guy who's probably like still one of the biggest guys on the roster, and he's this weird, bad, flippy guy. <laughs> like, how's that happen? That's what a weird trajectory. Um. Yeah, the match was was weird. A lot of like a fair bit of Hager's stuff looked good, but I do agree that he uh, he took too uh, too much offense from QT. Um, like you wanted to, him to kind of continue to get over as a monster, and he he was dominant-ish, but like he, he should have looked more dominant. I agree. Uh, the extent of QT's hope spot should have been like a few punches. <laughs> Like he got, a, I think he got a near fall off him at one stage with a senton, and then I'm like, "What are we doing? Why is why is QT Marshall getting a near fall on Jake Hager? What are we doing there? Come on!" Yeah, and 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 again, this match was mostly just to set up the, the post match angle yet again, in which we had a giant brawl as all the members of the inner circle spilled out, and all well, not all the members of the elite, Nick Jackson and Kenny Omega weren't there, suffering from the effects. Uh, as all the elite and all of the the inner circle come out, uh, inner circle gets the the upper hand until everyone's favorite Hangman Page strolls out casually, holding a drink, fully dressed, walks into the ring, looks at the inner circle, thinks about it for a second. Inner circle go back to continuing to beat up the elite. Uh, Hangman puts his drink on the posts, turns around, beats up the the inner circle, hits a really damn good buckshot lariat on Jake Hager. If Jake Hager gave too much to QT Marshall, he fed for that buckshot lariat so damn well. Hangman Mm -hmm. gets his drink, drinks his drink, gives Matt Jackson the middle finger, and then leaves. Hangman Page is the best character on this television show, and it's not even close. See, look, I'm going to be grumpy here. I thought this was a little too cartoonish for my liking. Like, it got over, so I can't really criticise it too much, but like there's there's levels of hamming and like the the wandering down to the ring in slow motion putting his drink on the side like what are the what's going on here very very cartoonish um it, it wasn't for me this this bit but as you said the the the, the buckshot lariat looked awesome um and, and a part of why i was kind of disappointed is that i do love adam page so much and that i think the good stuff that they're doing with him is excellent but for me, this was like a little, it was a little too cartoonish for, for which I realize is, you know, AEW as a show is, has the, the cartoonish bend, but I, it didn't quite connect with me in the way that this felt like a, a more of a mid card thing than an upper card thing, I guess. I, I think, I think the reason I liked it is because like him walking out there both works on a, a a story level as well as just being a little silly because he doesn't like these people. <laughs> it's well established. He really doesn't like these people and he, he helps them because he's like loosely associated friends with them and it's probably what he should do but he's not going to do it quickly and of course not at the expense of his drink which is understandable though I don't drink so clearly I don't relate but still. This is kind of a, a general observation from, from stuff I've been watching but Ortiz's timing's really bad for feeding for spots. Like which is weird because he's very good at pretty much everything else, but like he's always super early to like turn around for stuff and 
get in position, and it it, it just bugs me. That minor thing, minor thing. And the thing is, I think I've noticed that more in AEW. I don't think I ever clicked with me in his impact stuff, and maybe it might just be the way these angles are blocked. Because they, they've done angles like this a lot where like each member of the stable comes out and they get beaten down and someone else comes out and gets beaten down and then someone makes the eventual save. And like th- that does require blocking and timing and it's it's a, sometimes it's on the, the kind of on the clumsy side where somebody makes a save and it's it's not the best looking in the world. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's not a huge thing. It's just, it's just something I'd noticed and I'd noticed it before and it was like, it's weird for someone who is a very good wrestler to not quite have the timing down for these sorts of things, especially in segments more than matches, really. But, yeah. Next week, speaking of Ortiz, he will face Cody, one-on-one. He had no way singles matches in Impact, and he's already at two in AEW. Death Triangle will be in action. It was announced they'll be facing Joy Janela and Private Party since. MJ, the Butcher and the Blade will face the Jurassic Express, so two six-man tag team matches next week. Plus, the rules for Blood and Guts, which is AEW's War Games, which will take place on the di- last Dynamite of March, I want to say. Uh, yes, the 25th, which is the last Dynamite of March, will have their version of War Games, which, based on the prior segment, I can only imagine is the Elite against the Inner Circle, but we'll see. You'd think so. You'd think so. Yeah, I I, I like how they've slowly been organising more and more people into, like, groups or loosely associated alliances and that sort of thing because it's just nice that like people have friends and that when they're then in in matches that are tag matches they have a natural partner or that they, they they have guys to team with they have guys to second for them i like that i like that in general and they, they've slowly been grouping more and more people together they definitely need trios belts at this stage don't they <laughs> maybe uh, it might be a little too crowded like I think you could do trio belts, but it can't, I kind of get the sense that a TV title isn't a million miles away. And would you want, on a two-hour show, four belts? Or would that make it five? Uh, tag. Uh, tag Women World and then TV and another yeah. one would make it five. Yeah, I, I think that might be a little too crowded. Uh, but then again, they are adding an extra, uh, an extra show at some point, aren't they? So, who knows? Uh, but... Yeah, I, I, I enjoy Trios matches, and it seems that going forward we're going to have more and more of them, so cool. And I, I think a more pressing concern for the show, I think what would get more people on the show doing something more interesting would be Trios Belts more than a TV title. I think Trios Belts would be, if, if you were to say, introduce Trios Belts next or a TV title next, I'd say Trios Belts first, because that gives all of these trios something to do when they're not doing single stuff. Sure, sure. Good argument. Though equally, I don't think any trios belt in the history of trios belts has ever been anything but a side attraction. So that might that might not help. Yeah, I, I kind of like trios as as a thing for to kind of build up tags and singles. That that's kind of my preferred method. Like you know, going back to you know '90s All Japan or something. There was, to my knowledge, anyway, off the top of my head, no trios titles. Yet the amount of amazing multi-mans that they main evented with. Uh, and were incredible, you know, almost countless. But, um, you know, they they weren't built around the actual trio's belts. It was kind of the setups so that you weren't burning off the singles matches and the, the 2v2 tags. You'd have great eight-mans or great six-mans, and then on the bigger shows, you got the, the singles matches, you got the tag matches. So that, that would be the way I'd, in an ideal world, do it. And that's kind of what they've been doing, to be fair. 
You don't want to see the the New Japan trios belts, which I think still exist. In the Ring of Honor have them too, don't they? They do. Ring of Honor actually kind of use them, and they like don't use them that horribly. But I think there was a point where the New Japan ones hadn't been defended in like six months or something, yeah. which was the, the old, if, if you don't care, why should we? Well, that's that's an extreme, extreme example of that one. Ghetto doesn't care about his tag teams, never mind his trios. <laughs> He seems to be caring a little bit more now, maybe? Maybe? We'll see. This isn't the New Japan cast, though. There's plenty of... Though New Japan is currently gone forever, so realistically, there is no New Japan cast. <laughs> currently gone forever. <laughs> or however long coronavirus lasts. Actually, like my local hospital has uh, like 60 doctors and nurses put into like quarantine because they, they had someone that had coronavirus and left them on a bed for like two days. <laughs> They were showing symptoms and they just left them there in public. They didn't quarantine them. It's like, that's not good. <laughs> that sounds sound like what you want to do. Like, I don't, I don't pretend to be an expert on this, but it doesn't sound smart. In a hospital with 3,000 staff and a bunch of sick patients, let's let the guy showing symptoms just wander the halls. <laughs> just high-fiving people as he goes past. Oh dear. John Moxley was attacked by the Inner Circle before the tag team main event, so the tag team main event was mostly Darby Allen versus, uh, actually entirely Darby Allen against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara in a, what was technically a tag team match, but in effect a hey, handicap match in which Jericho and Guevara won. And realistically, I don't think this was a great match, but this was a tremendous performance from Darby Allen. Another, and I think, a long series of really great performances from Darby Allen. He is so good. Like, it's. It's incredible that a guy who basically almost always does the same thing every time, every time it's incredible. Like, you'd think it would almost get boring watching him sell and make a comeback, but god damn, he's so good at it, and he's so reckless, and he's he's so rootable for that this was just... I, I agree, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really call it a great match, but it was a great segment, and... Guevara and and Jericho were were brilliant in their roles too. They they gave just enough that it was compelling throughout. It'd be easy for this to end up being boring, just because I, I can't remember how long this match was, but it was pretty much for the majority. It was one guy selling against two guys, getting a few hope spots. It'd be easy to make that boring, but it was consistently compelling throughout, uh, and that that's not easy to do and they they absolutely managed to succeed and the thing i really liked about this and you know it's the the obvious comparison to wwe what would happen with wwe is that moxley would come back get the hot tag and win the match mm -hmm. and it would suck because like you still had that that's still basically a, a two it's two two on ones after each other and yet you're basically you're basically burying the heels in that, in that they they've they've had all that chance to to to, to beat down um, Allen, and then they'd have a chance two on one against Moxley, and they'd lose. But in this, they did it slightly different. They 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 had the bad guys just win because there was two of them, and there was one opponent, so they should win. Um, and it it just worked. And then you still had the Moxley at the end come out, um, be valiant, uh, only to then get destroyed off a off a stage. But it, it was so much more effective than the, the the typical WWE thing that you'd get where where the, the the valiant guy who got beat down would fight back and just come back and win. Comparisons to Jeff Hardy, I think, are a tad lazy, and JR wants you to think about it every time he comes out because it's like uh, this mysterious enigma, Darby Allen. 
but he Darby is really like Jeff Hardy tier babyface in peril like you feel it you feel everything that he's hit with and you connect with it and as you said it, there's there's nothing particularly new about all of his matches he makes this comeback he hits a insane looking suicide dive which in, a, in an era where I think bad looking suicide dives are a bit of an epidemic the flying mm-hmm. hugs if you will the, the, the see someone like him or Phoenix commit to it it's like yes this is how it should be yes there's there's a level of force behind it that like you you kind of like get to the point where you're like ah I I don't know. Suicide dives don't just don't really affect me anymore. Like I don't I don't get hyped for them. And then you see a good one, you're like, oh no, they do, they do. It's just I've been seeing people kind of push people going through the ropes, and it's, <laughs> it's not good. and then then you see like yeah, as you say, Phoenix or Allen just launch their bodies as fast as they can. And you're like, yes, that's what I want. That's that's what it is. And then he hits a stunner. He hits coffin drops, and like there, there's nothing new there. But as you said, it works. Because he's so compelling. He's just... You, you connect with him. You connect with him on a level that you don't connect with other people. And he feels indestructible, which is bizarre because he's a tiny human being. And it's... Uh, yeah, Darby Allen. And it's, uh, his, his record in AEW is 7-8-1. He has lost more matches than he's won. And, like, his matches that he've lost, he's lost are more memorable. Like this handicap match. Or like his match against Chris Jericho. Or his match against Pac. Or his match against John Moxley. Like, all the matches that Darby Allen has lost are more memorable than the ones he's won because those are the performance that he stands out in. It's it's they've done a really remarkable job. That Darby Allen is probably the breakout star of the show so far, and he's lost more matches than he's won, which usually would be an indictment. But it's that's perfect for what this is. This is like his character needs to lose more. He he is perfect. He is perfect as booked as like a guy who's just not quite on the level of the main eventers but damn is he gonna put in an effort and almost beat them and almost pull the upset and every now and again he'll get to pull the upset but the more you do it the less effective it will be i think so they've they've done an excellent job of getting him over without burning those big wins yet yeah when he does beat chris jericho or john moxley or pack it'll be a big deal it'll be a huge deal definitely yeah, as you said, post-match, uh, Mox comes back, he runs wild before he's eventually cut off and powerbombed through the stage. So I thought they'd, they'd use somebody here, like like a, a, a uh, Lance Hoy, or Lance Archer, or a Brody Lee, or anybody. But no, they just, the inner circle just beat him up. And then they did the shield uh, fists in thing, but with middle fingers, and that was very good, I approve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy that. Um, overall, with the, the whole segment of, like, um, Jericho kind of teasing at the beginning of the show you know if they, they didn't like completely outline it fully but it was basically if he lost or if 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 moxley walked out or something he would be gone for 30 no 60 days i really like that because there were those little rumors of like oh maybe Mo- uh, maybe jericho wants to go tour with fozzy for a bit so after losing the title he's going to go for a little break or it would be an easy way to kind of spin moxley away from the inner circle so there was a real real thought of like yeah maybe maybe moxley wins this match maybe they do the the wwe thing of the guy gets beaten down pre-match comes out um midway through the match gets the hot tag wins the match and jericho's out of here for 60 uh 60 days and that that's kind of the clean transition away from those those two and they can both do different things after jericho comes back but no they 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 kind of doubled down uh and went in the increased increased the feud basically and it 
having that kind of in your mind of like, oh, maybe maybe this is the end of the the inner circle uh, Moxley stuff, and this is how they're going to kind of separate them, and then they don't go that way. I I enjoy stuff like that. It's good swerves. Yes, yeah. Good swerves are when stuff makes sense on both directions and they make it look like it's going to go one way and they go the other way instead of one thing makes sense so they do the thing that doesn't make sense god wrestling so dumb <laughs> yeah i worked you because the thing didn't make sense happened and you didn't expect it yeah i wrote yeah. something incomprehensible and you didn't comprehend it you idiot yeah and as you say this wasn't like uh, a great match but it was it's something that you'll remember as kind of a, a, an entire package when Darby Allen someday does in fact win the AEW championship which I think will happen I hope will happen I, I think this is one of the matches that go back to I was like oh, what, one of those early matches where it's like oh this is where you clearly look at this man and he's a gigantic star yeah it's it's hard to project out but like in my mind he'd be perfect for like a, a one day or one week reign or something I'd go one pay-per-view cycle. I hate Rage Satchiord, but yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's probably better. That, that's probably me with too much of a WWE brain on. <laughs> All the, the the title reigns that last short times only have to last a day or a week because that's Rince's attention span. So that's AW, which I thought a uh, good show, not great. A clear step down from the recent, like, real home run episodes of Dynamite. But this was more like a post-pay-per-view. We're resetting the table. We're rejumbling up programs as Cody moves into something else as we set up uh, Death Triangle and as we probably build towards another title match between John Moxley and Chris Jericho on Dynamite sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it felt more like a table-setting Dynamite. Just resetting the table, jumbling the pieces back around and start building their stories up once again. I think post-big event shows are often quite tricky to do because the, almost the easy thing to to do is kind of pretend like to them to completely not reference the stuff that's just happened and then go straight into the next stuff but then it doesn't you don't get the interconnected flow of your product that you really want but what you don't want to do is not move anything on from the pay-per-view you want a sense of finality from some of the pay-per-view stuff and overall i thought they did a very good job in the pretty much everyone referenced what happened on the pay-per-view and they weren't like well i lost a match and i don't care about what happened now like straight away something new but they they did a good mix of moving people into new programs um keeping some programs going that sort of thing it it, it felt like a new chapter of the story rather than a completely new story which is what i prefer in wrestling rather than a complete pay-per-view cycle reset where it's like well you know the classic wwe well the it's a new 30-day cycle um everything that just happened doesn't matter anymore it's whoever i'm feuding with now that that's the only thing that matters um and i'll be friends with a person who i hated six days ago or whatever you did miss though a very weird mgf promo oh i did i skipped over that yes where the camera seemed to be out of focus for half of it? That was weird. Yeah. Or was that just... That wasn't just my screen, right? I, 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 I'll be honest, I didn't, I, it didn't click with me. I didn't even notice. But Yeah, yeah they, they kind of did the uh, I pinned Cody shirt thing, which was... Oh, God. Uh, was it I broke uh, Wahoo's leg or something? I, I'm not a Territory fan, so I don't know the exact reference, but it's it's aping off something from the Territories. It's the latest in MJF's baby's first heel act. Yeah, I mean... Look, he's a good talker, but, like, 
I'm not really that invested in anything he does. Like, Cody is the guy getting me invested in that feud. Because Cody is the true ace of the world. Mm, he's he's very good. He's a, he's a very good wrestler. On the subject of ace of my heart, that's not a good segue because we're talking about WWE NXT. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Triple H. Uh, yeah, the true ace of the World Wrestling Federation, Triple H, and his, his wonderful show from Full Sail University, uh, which uh, Steel Cage Night, not quite locked down, only two matches of the, what, six, five in the six in the Steel Cage, so not quite full lockdown, but NXT opened with a Steel Cage match between Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai in a match that I thought was actually really good. But I hate Escape the Cage matches, and there was two instances in this match where I was actively bad at Escape the Cage matches. There was one where where Tegan Knox hit her Shining Wizard, and I was like, just walk out the door. Because she went for the pin, Dakota Kai kicked out, and then she sat there holding her face in her hands for like 90 seconds, shocked. It's like, just walk out the door. You can just walk out the door and you win. You don't have to pin her. You can beat her by walking out the door. And then at the end of the match, where Tegan Knox was holding onto the cage and uh, Raquel Gonzalez was just kind of wandering around, distracting her slightly. I'm just like, just let go of the cage. You can fall. Just let go of the cage. You'll win. Just let go of the cage. And yeah, I, I hate Escape the Cage matches. I think they're the dumbest thing in the history of wrestling. And I really hate that they keep doing them because they make absolutely no sense. And there's just the logic. And if they locked the door, it would be one thing and you had to climb out. At least then there's like a physical task involved and you can create some drama about that. But like, just walk out the door. There's at least like four instances in every Escape the Cage match where someone can walk out a door and doesn't and it just makes me mad. And realistically you don't want Escape the Cage matches. This is a big grudge rivalry between Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai. Uh, the, the idea is that they're going to rip each other to shreds. You don't want someone to win by climbing out. It's not a climbing contest. And also, the idea of the cage match is that nobody interferes and both the cage matches on this show had people interfering and it's stupid. Oh, uh, Rob. Rob. Save me from my cage match rants. God, why did you bring me on for the cage match episode? <laughs> I don't know. Because I like <laughs> it's like my least favorite stip. Uh, it's not quite my least favorite stipulation. I hate I quit matches maybe a little bit more, but they're they're up there in the pantheon. And like WWE is the absolute worst at them. As you say, lock the door and then it kind of works. Maybe it's not the most entertaining thing, but there's a level of making sense that just is completely absent. Just taking the, the normal amount of selling for for normal moves, a ca- an escape the cage match where you can just walk through the door should be over in like a minute. Because in pretty much every normal match, someone's on the ground and selling for a little bit within about a minute usually. A biggish move has been hit, and then you can just wander out the door. Like for some reason. During cage matches, people really struggle to get between the ropes to get out the cage, whereas in a normal match, they no trouble at all. Um, and what I what like destroys my brain because obviously you shouldn't think about it because it you know they don't think about it, so why should you? But why do they lock the door if when you walk over it over to it, they open it for you? It's to keep Raquel Gonzalez out, of course, because that worked so well. 
it's not like it's locked. No. It's just like with a bar, a bolt that goes up. Like if Raquel Gonzalez walked over, she could undo the bolt as well. What's the point of them locking the door and then unlocking the door every time someone wants to go through? I don't know. I hate this. I hate it. I hate these matches. They're so stupid. And Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As you said, the thing is, they worked really hard in this match. They had a hard-hitting match. And I didn't enjoy it because I couldn't get past the massive logic holes that it just took me out of it so much. Like, oh, the there, there's one moment in this match where I think Raquel Gonzalez is at the door, who's fighting with Tegan Knox, but I think the doors the doors shut, um, and she's kind of blocking the door from being opened. And then Dakota Kai runs up and, and goes to boot Tegan. But Tegan moves and she boots the door into uh, into Raquel Gonzalez and she goes crashing out onto the floor. Dakota looks shocked for a little bit, then turns around and gets onto her knees <laughs> so she can take a Shining Wizard. She just <sighs> booted a door. Why is she then waited for 30 seconds, turned around and then knelt down? what's going on here like and then the finish was kind of inventive but like it kind of just further showcased how dumb the stipulation is in that like why did tegan bother climbing all the way up when the easier thing demonstrated because one person at that point couldn't walk but managed to just walk out kind of crawl out the door why did why did she not just go out the door, Gareth? I hate them. I hate them so much, Rob. It, like, it's like no one no one thinks about in that company thinks about the matches for like a second. The least you can expect from a piece of media is to make some level of internal sense. Like, I can go watch like fantasy shows like magic and shit, but like as long as it makes sense within its own universe, fine. This doesn't make any level of sense. Like, it, it creates plot holes every 30 seconds. What? I hate it. I hate it so much. And, and, and as you said, it's so much worse because these people in these... Like, these two in this match worked really hard, did some inventive stuff, took some, you know, dives off the top of cages onto each other, big spots, probably didn't feel very good the following morning... And I'm not thinking about the wrestling at all. I'm thinking about the structure of the match because it's inherently flawed to a degree that they couldn't have really done anything to make it okay. Because of that damn door! They also had a, a what I thought would have been a much better finish where 
it was it didn't actually end up being the finish in the end but uh, Tegan Knox was climbing down the cage and then she kicked the cage door into the knee of Dakota Kai and I'm like that's actually like an incredibly satisfying finish to this feud which started with the the penalty or the the kind of holding box war games mm-hmm. cage having that door slammed on her knee and it's like oh that's actually a re- no wait the Raquel Gonzalez is interfering that's that's not actually the finish that's not the cathartic justice that they were setting up it was just a, it's like that's that was been such a better finish to this match yeah yeah that was I, 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 what what can you say what, what can you say like they <sighs> they worked so hard like the, 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 none of this is on Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai because they were, as you said, they worked so hard in this match. The, the they work they don't great. pick how the match works. Like they, yeah. like they, they can't influence the door opening when you walk near it. Or like, although the cannon board does look really dumb and continues to look really dumb. And I think Tegan Knox's choke slam isn't great, but for someone who yeah. does does a choke slam as a cane tribute, it's not a great choke. Also, the way they filmed the dive off the cage the first time was like if you tried to film it in a way that made it look as as uh, as unimpressive as possible that's how you do it because they, they mm-hmm. filmed their top and then filmed it from behind and they basically didn't didn't catch any of the actual falling from a 12 foot structure or however that, however all that cage actually is 12 feet feels about right and yeah don't film take wide shots when people dive off cages for the love of god it's not that hard it like it's it's one of those things where like in an in another era or a different company like diving off a cage is like a big moment that gets referenced a lot you won't think about this again two weeks from now in contrast to the the cody dive off the cage the moonsault off the cage which i think will become an uh, kind of iconic AEW moment for for years and years to come definitely finn balor's given out a walter he his hand has been forced he doesn't really work as a tough guy, does he? He doesn't. I don't like NXT Finn Balor at all. It just everything he says, I'm just like, this is stupid. Why don't you just be the cool guy who makes people horny on Instagram and has <laughs> decent matches? <laughs> That's all I want out of Finn Balor. <laughs> he, he feels like he's kind of trying to do like a darkish, brooding, tough guy who's who's a step ahead of you and you should be afraid of, like. You can't really be afraid of Finn Balor. It just doesn't work. Like, that's not his aura at all. Like, his character is that you should be afraid of him coming out and beating you up. And, like, that that's not him. That's just not you, Finn. That's just not you. No. He's too much, he's too, too much of a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't be that guy and the guy who plays with Legos. Like, <laughs> come on. There's a cognitive dissonance there. Like it, it, it's on this show that you've been had like featured you playing with Legos. Like the, you can't then be the, the the tough broody guy. Come on, come on now. I assume that that's either a WrestleMania weekend match or an NXT UK Takeover Dublin match, which is still a very unfortunate name. UK Takeover Dublin. Come on, but yeah, whenever that happens, sure. In some ways, it's appropriate. It it would be a takeover if it was the UK, but. It's a very WWE thing to do, but, you know. Classic imperialist Brit defending the takeovers of the Irish. Hey, hey, hey. If there's one thing I will never defend, it's NXT UK. You cannot cannot tar me with that brush. You cannot tar me with that brush. NXT UK and me are mortal enemies. Oh dear, Rhea Ripley visited the the stadium of WrestleMania, talked about how she was going to win. I don't know, this is a nice little personality piece. It, It was... 
it was nice and like I I think in in general there's not enough of these things in wrestling, but like I didn't think it was particularly like excellently done or anything. Like she seemed amazed by seats. She's <laughs> like, "Wow, I've never seen this many seats." Okay, <laughs> like sure. It's a big I, I get that it's a big thing for her, her, but like it just it just felt like a bit inauthentic. It felt very scripted, mm. and maybe it wasn't even scripted, but that that's how it came off. It's like. Who gets it? Like, wow, there's there's a lot of seats. Gee, golly well, whiz, yes. the grandeur and spectacle of WrestleMania. In Australia, we don't have this many seats. <laughs> like, okay. And she said that line about, like, how she'd... Coming into WWE, she'd always got re- compared to Charlotte. Like, she was an obvious comparison to Charlotte. Was she? I don't remember anybody ever doing that, no. Is that... Was that mini Charlotte? No, I, I don't think so. No, not really. Like, she is... I guess the comparison would be that they're probably fairly similarly sized. And they're the faces of their respective brands, I guess. But she was kind of, like, making it it seem like it's something that's all the way through her coming up. She was referred to... It, yeah, yeah it, it felt a bit forced, but, you know, whatever. Also, I don't think Rhea Ripley is the person to be like... Look how relatable she is. She's like a badass. I don't. I don't get it. like it's ever since she's won the title, they've done things like she has to cut the baby face in the ring promos, and they do this relatable, you know, grounded down to earth interview. Look how how in awe she is at her big WrestleMania moment. It's like no, she's Rhea Ripley. She's a badass. She goes out there. This is my brutality, and she beats people up. Like there's a lot of women over the years that they've had in WWE that can do like the every woman role. That's not the one you should pick. Mm. Ripley's the the cool person who like you aspire to be, but you're not. Not not the person that like. Oh yes, we can all relate to her. Shotzi Black Blackheart's tank entrance. I had never seen that before. Oh. That is impressively dorky. It's I, I'm a big fan of mini tanks. Mini anything <laughs> and any turn anything into a miniature version of its usual thing, and it's much better. Coming out of a mini tank, wearing your helmet. There's actually the first week she did it. If you remember, Sammy Guevara at the Royal Rumble started going around in a, a mini tank, uh-huh. and and, and the, the the week after that she debuted on NXT. I was like, is that a shot at Sammy? But no, apparently she does the mini tank thing on the Indies too. So Shotzi loves her tanks. It was. Just, it's just such like a weird, elaborate entrance for a jobber. <laughs> and it, it was like, and it just came out of nowhere with like. And because I'd never seen it before, it just kind of someone's flying down the ring and like the, the camera's weirdly low. Oh, okay, quick tank. Oh, she's screaming. Oh, she's kind of doing the splits on the floor. Okay, and now out comes her opponent and beats her in a minute. Okay, that, that happened. Sure, whatever. These are the things you experience when you don't watch <laughs> NXT every week. You miss the tanks. Oh, gee, oh, we have a Mauro quote from the opening match that needs to be read. I forgot about that. The most important thing on this show, Mauro Ronaldo. <laughs> Where did I save this Mauro quote? I think I emailed it to myself. This is what I do. This is my life. <laughs> Where can I keep myself the Mauro Ronaldo quotes? All right. I have to... I have to there, there's two of them. Okay. And Dakota Kai, meanwhile, she is transmogrified to Dark Kota Kai. And as she would rather be called King Kota, then Nigel McGuinness interrupts, interrupts her, talks for a moment. Mauro comes back around, and Kai, along with Gonzalez, proving to be more venomous than a king cobra. Dark Kota Kai. 
And in typical Barrow fashion, he had one that I had to actually look up. And Kai goes down harder than Oprah during the 2020 Vision Tour. Apparently Oprah fell over during one of her live shows recently. It's like, that's a little mean, isn't it, Maro? <laughs> well, um, yeah. Watching a full NXT show reminded me why I don't watch full NXT shows. And it's not all because of Maro, but it's... It's a significant part because of Maro. Like, it, he's one of those people that, like, he's a lot. He's a yeah. lot. He's far too much. Whew. I think that's the tone of NXT in general. It's just it's just a lot. It's like the theme song is this big in-your-face song. And over all of, like, the segments and, like, the on- announcer on cameras, they play the theme song in the background. So it's like, brr, 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 brr. I don't even know how it goes. But... <laughs> It's just yeah, the show is just it's it's breathless and loud, and I think if it were allowed to breathe more and maybe take it down a few decibels, it would be a better show. Yeah, Chelsea Green beat Chelsea Blackheart. She advances to the ladder match at Takeover. I'm still mad that that's a ladder match for no reason, but let's move on. Nothing about the match. Though Chelsea Green calls her unprettier, the I'm prettier, which I guess is solid wordplay. Yeah, I thought that was like fairly fairly clever. Um, this was another short women's match, much like the AEW one, um, that had an impressive amount of awkward stutter steps um, for such a short match. So, you know, you've got that consistency across the two brands. Yeah, you you, you got to keep your squashes as, as clumsy and messy as possible. That's the way they get over, right? <laughs> like, you had two minutes to fail, guys. Come on, come on. We get one of, I think, two teasers on the show for someone coming soon. It looks a lot like Killer Cross. I'm going to be honest, I don't remember it. So. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> abstract images of deserts and clocks and things dying. Very Killer Cross, if you've seen any Killer Cross media through the years. Oh, God. Okay. Keith Lee comes out and set your stopwatch because this is one of, one of the, the first of many promos on the show. And I hate this about NXT. Keith Lee comes out to say nothing. And he's waiting, he's literally talking for two minutes to be interrupted by Cameron Grimes. There is no other function of Keith Lee coming out and speaking other than to be interrupted by Cameron Grimes. I hate that. I hate that so much. It's like, why did he go out there? What did he have to say? Why didn't he address what he had to say? He's talking about Damien Priest. He's talking about Dominic Dijakovic. He doesn't actually say anything. And then out comes... Cameron Grimes interrupt them and then they actually get to the meat of the actual segment. And I'm just like, Ugh. and we'll get into this more because I think it happened at least three other times on this wrestling show. <laughs> you made a tweet about this as I was watching the show and it was literally a thing that was happening as I read the tweet. I was like, well, <laughs> definitely not wrong. Definitely not wrong. And it wasn't this time either. So yeah, it, it, it's something that, you know, didn't strike me as hard because this was the first time it happened in the show and you know i don't watch the show every week so it it didn't stick out as much and i thought the actual overall segment that we'll kind of move on to was actually pretty effective but now that you mention it what was keith actually saying before grimes came out like nothing it's nothing literally just stalling for time because they they cut they don't feel they can have him come out and be immediately interrupted he needs to fill two minutes first you know what you do instead just just have Cameron Grimes go out first. Have him go out and say, Keith Lee, I pinned Dijakovic, give me a title shot. Then Keith Lee comes out and you do the rest of the segment. And then it just makes so much more sense. Look, we've established this isn't a show that is about making sense. So. That's true. 
Yeah, Grimes brags to Keith Lee about defeating Dijakovic faster than Keith Lee could, and Keith Lee's like, so what? But like, yeah, he beat him faster than you. That's a that's a perfectly valid brag. Before eventually, the, that's a you. Uh, what's the name of that belt? North American. Goddamn it! I always nearly call that the U.S. title belt. Leaving out poor Canada, the, it's the North American title match for yeah, Mexico. Next is is Mexico in 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 North America? That's always a a, a dodgy one for me because this is North or Central America. Well, Central America isn't usually considered a continent. Mm. I guess you've also maybe got the Caribbean in there as well. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Geography. You don't get many South American titles, so it, it it's not like it's distinctly split up, really. Mm. It's unfair. There's a European belt. There's a UK belt. There will be a Japan belt. It's coming, baby. It's coming. Austin Theory was talking... What was he talking about? There's no way of knowing. He was talking, waiting to be interrupted by Isaiah Scott, who challenged him to a match later that night. He was busy calling himself the greatest ever, which the idea is that it's ridiculous, but it's like... It, it, it's, 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 it goes so far past ridiculous that you... It's, a, it's so uncredible that you don't even believe he'd say it. It, it, it doesn't matter, because, like, not, well, first off, nothing on this show matters, but... As you say, it everything's turned up a bit too loud. Like, just do like I, I'm the greatest, I, I'm the best wrestler currently on NXT or something like that. Like, I guess it sounds a lot less grand. Fastest rising star. He's meant to be cocky and he's meant to be overhyped, and he's meant to like think he's better than he is. But it's like I don't know, I don't know. It was just like what a weird choice. What a weird choice. It doesn't matter. Especially when his two matches on NXT so far are, uh, well, not two, he wrestled Walking Wild as well, but his two big matches are losses to Tommaso Ciampa and Roderick Strong, so it's not like he's even won a few matches before he's called, he's lost his most recent match against Tommaso Ciampa before he's called himself the greatest in NXT. This, as again, this is one of those stories that if you thought about it and said, all right, we'll have him beat Walking Wild, we'll have him beat a Forgotten Son, we'll have him beat a couple of nerds, and then he starts calling himself the biggest star in NXT history because he's undefeated and he's defeated all these people. And then it, it, you get, it, it kind of makes sense because mm-hmm. he's undefeated, it makes sense that he says it. And then I say Scott comes along and you beat all these nerds, why don't you wrestle me? And then you get you actually tell a real story. They do this all the time, where they just pretend the story they're telling is the story they told. And he's like, "I'm the greatest in NXT," even though I lost to Tommaso Ciampa last week. Was it last week or two weeks ago? I don't even remember. But recently, he lost to Tommaso Ciampa, and it just—it's just like it doesn't feel like a credible thing he'd say. It's even like, as I said, it's beyond the level of ridiculous. That like it's meant to be wrong, obviously, but at least it could have credibility in being wrong. You want. It's a weird thing. You want it to be obviously false, but also you want to believe that the person saying it believes it. And you, it's like, as you say, it's so far beyond that that you can't believe that he believes it. But, yeah, it's a minor thing on something with such bigger problems that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, we've spent, like, four times as long on the, the length of this promo talking about this promo. Going real laps fan on it. Undisputed Era defeated uh, Orny Lorcan and Danny Burch. I'm sure Orny Lorcan is very happy that he signed a new deal to go back right into his job to the stars position. But it's an undisputed tag match against Orny Lorcan and Danny Burch. It is exactly as fun as you'd expect it to be. This was really good. And, like, watching this made me kind of... Re- well, it made me actually realise a few different things. First off, it's that, like, I think Young Bucks are approaching the, the, the level where they, they're reasonable to call them... Like, they're, they're definitely in the discussion and for some people would probably be the best tag team ever 
but Red Dragon might be more talented than them. Like, if I was like, who is the most talented tag team currently in the world? It might be Red Dragon. Like, they they do everything I want out of a tag team. They are incredible. And it's weird because, like, every takeover, pretty much, they get to have a, a great tag match. But they still feel wasted because they are, like, one of the, you know, probably five best talented tag teams ever. And you get to see, like, four really great tag matches from them a year. But this, this was, like, it was really good, but it also was meant as, like, it wasn't wrestled like a takeover match and um they had that revival match a, a couple of what like a, a month or so ago on nxt and that kind of was wrestled a bit like a uh, a takeover match actually that more than a month i was about to say so. that match was like last year <laughs> i think that was in the build-up to survivor series yeah yeah what is, what is time but you know that match was a match on regular nxt that was wrestled like a takeover match this match wasn't um it was still really good but it was wrestled in a way where the idea was Red Dragon are a lot better than these guys, and it got that over. And it's difficult to have a really good match where one team or one guy is presented as a lot better than the other team or guy, and they absolutely succeeded here. It helps a lot. Like Logan and Birch, or Lorkin and the Birch, are like they—they are—they're—they're they're far too good as enhancement talent. That they always get used as enhancement talent because they're really, really good in that roles, and they should be doing so much more. But when you have them, it's like, well, if we have undisputed era wrestle Lorcan and Birch, they're going to have a great match and they're going to look better off because of it. So let's just leave Lorcan and Birch in that spot. It's, it's, it's a cruel world for those poor guys to be stuck in the tremendously good enhancement roles. They're they're too good at making other people look better than them. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You were saying about the the undisputed year being wasted. I was looking at Kyle O'Reilly's singles matches in WWE, and he's been signed for going on three years now, and he's had three of them. And I'm like, this was like he's every bit the wrestler. All the other people in undisputed era, he's right there at strong, maybe better than strong. I and- think he's better than strong. I think strong's excellent against the right person, but I think Kyle O'Reilly has more people that he's very good against. Like. If you stuck him in that feud with um, Velveteen Dream, I think he has better matches. I think yeah, I'm, he's Adam Cole's more popular than him. But if you yeah. if you let Kyle O'Reilly wrestle as Kyle O'Reilly on this show, he'd be one of the biggest stars. In the, like it's it's annoying. He's feuding with the the Broserweights at the moment. Let him have singles matches with Pete and Matt Riddle. Come on, what are you doing? They've had great matches, singles matches before. Like uh, he Kyle O'Reilly is so good. Like. It, he is going to be a guy that, like, 20 years from now, if people go back and watch matches from his career, they'll be like, this guy could have been, like, a top five Western wrestler ever. And, like, he's going to have a very, very good career full with great matches, but not quite the quantity of great matches that he should and nowhere near the level of star that he perhaps could have been. Because he doesn't have that explosive charisma like Cole. But he has the kind of charisma that if you have him bubble under for long enough, he'll get there. Like a a Daniel Bryan type type deal. Kushida's on the NXT roster. Just rerun the best of the Super Junior final. (laughs) Like, they they have only ever had incredible matches. And I'm watching this match, like, it made me think, like, it's weird how... And it may just be the way Red Dragon wrestle and their kind of style, but... NXT in general, 
everything is like it's so much everything is overly epic to like a fault and the reason i love the ta their tag division so much is it's the one division that isn't they kind of just wrestle matches that are about the matches they're not about great feeling and um this guy betrayed me on this it's like the story of the matches well, halfway through, we isolated this guy, targeted his knee, and his knee's a bit injured. So later in the match, we take advantage of his knee being injured. And it's weird how, like, the tag division managed to, manages to exist like that within a company, within a promotion, within a brand in NXT that isn't about that sort of story at all in general. But the tag title matches are almost invariably that style, and as a result, the best things on the show. It, it's a weird kind of, like... It kind of sticks out in a weird way, but I love that it does. I was watching Revolution, and one of my big like thoughts at the end of that show was how like every th every match on that show, even if the match wasn't good, like like Jake Hager and Dustin Rhodes uh, on up, every match on that show was different. You know, they they were they had different goals. You had the big epic tag match. You had the the big hate filled blood brawl. You had the the old man lucha brawl in the main event. You know, every match on that the Orange Cassidy wacky comedy, but actually secretly a great match. Every match on that match the show felt different. And you watch an NXT Takeover. And most of the big matches on those shows don't feel different. They all feel the same, like, big, epic PWG 2012 style, which, done really well, is really darn good, but if it's done in every match, you become a little bit numb to it. And that's why I think Undisputed Era, and I think Shayna Baszler, before she got moved up, that's why those people stand out, because those people wrestle a little differently than everyone else on the show, and it just it elevates their matches a great deal more because they just stand out a little more. They're a little bit different. You're not watching the same kind of match over and over and over again. When they actually wrestle, it's like, ooh, something a little different. I'd argue Cole does wrestle the way the other the other guys do, but the strong O'Reilly and Fish, as you say, don't. They, they, they kind of wrestle a little bit more like... I'm gonna make Nick Aldis mad, but a little bit more like uh, Puro inspired, a little bit more sportish style. Like this, the story, the story is the match rather than the match is about the story. Like mm. I've I've been theorizing about like I I think about the like the theory of wrestling far more than like is healthy in any person, um, and like the structuring of matches and over the time like the the way I model it these days is kind of there's two genres of wrestling there's many styles but there's two genres one is kind of a, a more sports-based genre in the the story is the match and it's like last time we we fought he he took out my knee um and, and managed to submit me in a knee so i'm going to be extra careful to not let him target my knee um but because of that i'm uh, I, I'm, I'm striking too much with my forearm and he manages to get me in an arm lock and he taps me out that way. And then there's the, the storytelling, which is like, this guy betrayed me, so I'm going to come on with so much more fire. Um, uh, and and when, I, when I wrestle him um, towards the end, we used to be friends, so I'm going to be s conflicted for a little bit, but then go, no, this guy did betray me and I'm going to beat him. And sometimes that storytelling style can be really good. But NXT is like the worst parts of the storytelling genre. And it is weird that you do get those occasional tag matches, usually with Red Dragon. Uh, sorry, Undisputed Era. I'm showing my ROH bias there. Um, Your love of Davy Richards can never be contained. Uh, never, never. Just, just give me guys like suplexing people over the top rope 
all the time. It's what I live for, baby. Um, oh, what a bad main event that was, the final battle. Uh, anyway, it is weird that they do kind of, in the midst of all this over-the-top epicness, they do kind of wrestle a more... As I say, the story is the match rather than the match being about the story. But I love them for it. After the match, the the the, the undisputed year cut a promo, waiting to be interrupted by the Roserweights, who cut out and cut a promo, waiting to be interrupted by the Grizzled Young Veterans, who eventually jumped. I thought the jump and the Grizzled Young Veterans part of this was fine. The double promo leading, waiting for a promo. I, again... It drives me mad. It's it, it happens so much on this television show where these people come out to say nothing, and like at the very least, like Zach Gibson and James Gray, they had a reason to be there. They jumped them. They want to be involved in this tag team title feud. All that's perfectly good. They, we have a little three way title feud going on. But God, those promos that they're, they're they're just there for no reason. I was all ready to say like like I I kind of complimented uh, AEW earlier. Um, I like how. Other people exist while one feud is happening. I was like, oh, cool. They're kind of like spinning spinning that off in that direction, even though the, the long-term feud seems to be that way. But then I thought about it. It's like, nah, they're probably just going to end up having a triple threat match, aren't they? They're definitely having a triple threat match, yes. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not that they're temporarily between takeovers. They're having a little bit of a diversion. But the other team and the other feud still exists while it's happening. It's no. It's that they're, oh, no, we're just going to do it again, but with three teams this time, uh, which is far less credit worthy even though it would probably still be quite a good match but worse than any 2v2 combination would be uh short thing <laughs> austin theory defeated isaiah scott i think a fun little mid-card match yeah one thing that really stuck out to me and i'm not sure if it's just because wwn's um camera shooting is always really bad but like it hadn't really sunk into me how jacked theory was like he is in incredible ridiculous shape in a in a promotion in WWE, where, like, a lot of people are in really good shape, he's, like, a cut above. It's weird how huge he is for his frame. I guess because WWN shoot from the floor up, as opposed to NXT, which usually are more, like, head-on. Mm-hmm. You're probably more likely to notice his physique. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Like, even though, like, kind of in his entrance they do go from kind of, like, the floor the floor up, but it's, like, it's shot, it's lit differently. Yeah. Anyway, it, it just jumped out at me. I was like, damn, that's, that's a very muscular man. He's in very good shape. That's the only thing I was impressed by him, though. Like, he, he's not... He's nowhere near a bad wrestler. He's quite a good wrestler, but, like, whenever I watch him, I'm like, I'm never impressed, but I can't quite pick out why I'm not impressed. He bumps and he feeds well. But I don't think he's ever particularly interesting when he's like on top or controlling a match. So like I, I think he's he's a good like mid card heel foil for whoever you're actually pushing. That they'll look good beating him, and if they're good, they can have a good match with him. But I'd never be like, all right, Austin Theory, we have this greenhorn, and we really need you to carry him. And I would never look to Austin Theory to do that because I don't think that's that's in his wheelhouse. Yeah, he's. I don't know. He's a, I, I've called him a Mike Bennett. I still think he's a bit of a Mike Bennett. I think he's probably a little better than Mike Bennett. But in terms of like me pigeonholing him into a role on a television show, I think he's a Mike Bennett. Yeah, he's he's a guy who's like, and it's weird because he, on the surface, he's not this thing. But bear with me. He's like an answer to the people who say you only like these certain indie wrestlers because they do cool moves, because he does quite cool moves but it doesn't connect 
in the same way. It's the way he strings them together. He just doesn't quite have the dynamism despite doing dynamic things, which sounds like uh, an oxymoron, but it, it just doesn't quite click in the way that it does for, like, elite-tier guys. It, it's odd because it, it looks like he has all the pieces, but it just doesn't quite fit together, I guess. But he is still very young. Yes. And new to wrestling. So maybe they will at some point. Though the problem is he's in the one place on Earth where wrestlers don't really develop. Uh, very true. Very true. Which is always a problem for a developmental territory, which I guess, is it still? It, it kind of is, I guess. But yeah, he beat Isaiah Scott. His his finish is a TKO, which I'm always... TKOs are flatliners. If that's your finish, think about it a little longer, please. Mauro Ronaldo interviewed Johnny Gargano. Oh boy. Uh, Johnny is very angry. Because Mauro is mean to him. And he's like, you betrayed NXT. And, like, Johnny's perfectly reasonable in his anger. Because, like, like Ch- Champa has stalked his wife and, and really made his life miserable. <laughs> so it's it's understandable why Johnny Gargano does not like this man. And he's presented as the villain. And Mauro Ronaldo's just like, I'm uncomfortable, leave me alone. And he's like, you embraced him. He came back and you're shouting, daddy's home. It's like, again... Why is Johnny the heel here? He's right. And he's not he didn't even do something that's like, oh, it's despicable. You know, if he if he tried to break Champa's leg, he'd be like, oh well, he went too far in his quest for revenge. He cost him a title match. That's fair. That, that's that, that's like a fair return for everything Champa has done to Gargano. There's a couple of things that just get in the way from this story really working. And the first is that in the classic WWE black and white thing. Champer is presented as the good guy, Gargano is the bad guy. If they kind of did like a Shades of Grey thing where it was like, ooh, choose your side type deal and there's not a clear good guy and a clear bad guy, that could kind of work. But the biggest problem of all of it is that like Gargano was okay with him coming back and was happily teaming with him and friends with him for a bit. So like, why is he mad that other people were happy that he was back because he was also happy that he was back for a while as well? As I said, it's they do this all the time. They pretend that the story they're telling is the story they told all along, and it very rarely, it exceedingly rarely actually is, so that when you actually look at it and say, well, you know, he returned and they were friends and they teamed for a while, why is he so mad? Why did it take... And it's not like... Champa did something to slight him in the meantime, but then at the same time, Champa did horrible things to Gargano, so his, his anger at Champa is perfectly justified. And Champa's, he's a babyface just because they tell you he is. I don't think he does anything that's particularly likable. And it's just one of those things where it's like, if they actually told the story that they say they're telling, you'd be like, oh, well, that makes sense. But they're not. They're, they're just they're like, these are the steps we pretended we took. Yeah, like, it's weird because they get close to it and then, like, they tell you they they tell you that they told a story that if they did tell would be quite good. Mm. So you're like, oh, you're close. You just didn't plan ahead and do it. You just kind of thought of it too late and went, oh, yeah, we did that. And because if they if they did, like, well, Champa came back and the fans were really happy that a guy came back. But Johnny was like, no, fuck this guy. Why, why, should, why are you happy he's back? He screwed me for so long. And just because he got injured and came back, now you're a fan of him. And then he attacks Champa. And the fans are like, hey, hey, you're as bad as him now. We don't like you. We prefer this other guy. And, and Gargano's like, well, 
fuck off. I was, I've been the same guy. This guy screwed me. I still hate him. That's a good story. Mm. That's a good story. That's an interesting way to do a double turn. And that kind of leans into your own fan base. It's reacting to the way the reactions would go. But they didn't do that. And you've said it several times, and it's a beautiful way of putting it. They they don't tell the story that they tell you they're telling. And it's a shame, because the stories usually aren't that bad. But they haven't been told. <laughs> <laughs> it really is so close, isn't it? It's like, if we told this story, by God, it would be a great one, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, they should actually just like go back and edit NXT, just like like directors cut it so that it starts making sense. <laughs> it's like if you could retroactively work the stories, because the, the endpoints they get to have the the things that go. They have the the build to them that would work really well, but they they didn't do it. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't do the story like <laughs> i i hadn't thought about it this way until you'd had me on for this podcast and it, it it's fascinating they they figure out good stories but they figure them out like three months too late because they figure out the story they want to tell after they would have already needed to tell it it's why this show is kind of infuriating <laughs> God, I'm glad I'm only doing this as a one-off, because this would melt my brain doing it every week. Trying to piece together the weird storytelling of WWE NXT. And like when you piece it together, it's like, oh God, you really did come close. You really did. Speaking of something that doesn't come anywhere near it, though. Our Steel Cage main event, in which I don't even think the cage match was good. Never mind it being an escape to cage match. It wasn't like, this didn't even have the good work of the, the, the match, the opening match. This was just... Velveteen Dream, who's going to be main eventing the next takeover, out for revenge. Like, there's a period in this match where Dream just hits a low blow. I'm like, are you just the heel now? Is that just how we're doing this? Cole's popular enough to be a face, but it's not what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's bizarre. Like, and as you say, this this was a match where, like, if the first match was, like, a match ruined by being the stipulation despite their hard work. This was a match that was terrible and made worse by the stipulation. Um, And as you said, as typical with all WWE matches, the stipulation works the opposite way it should do. The idea of the cage match is to keep people out, so obviously in cage matches are the matches you have the most interference in, in WWE. It makes perfect sense. Don't don't question it. (laughs) And and the other thing with this one is, is the... Biggest, most obvious indication I've had of the problem with having wins and losses not matter in a promotion at all was that Dream chose to lose the match on purpose, and it it was in the logic of the promotion that was the good thing to do. It was perfect, and he'll still get the title shot. And he'll get a title shot by losing the big blow-off on purpose. It make, don't question WWE storytelling. It all makes sense. This valiant babyface deliberately lost... So he could trap somebody else in a cage and fight him. It's it's after he stalked that that other guy's family, and uh, he hit a low blow. And he's a perfectly likable guy who's gonna have his crowning moment in Tampa, and everyone will be happy. <laughs> Question mark. Like, why would you ever care? Like, why would you ever care about the result of any match when they're literally telling you the people who are competing in the matches 
don't care about winning unless it's a title match. And they'll be rewarded for not caring about winning. That's that's the extra step. It's like not only do they not care about it, that he will he will not be punished for not caring. It, like if he lost this match, it, it, it would actually make so much. Again, oh god, we're gonna we're gonna fix NXT stories again. It would make so much more sense if the guy like if he was in this match with Adam Cole non-title say, and the guy he's feuding with is Roderick Strong, and he deliberately loses. The, the match against Cole to get at Strong then you don't have to book him in a title match so you could at least explain it away that you know he's being punished at least for not for, for refusing to win the match for deliberately losing the match and then you build toward the big match with Strong but no he's going to get the title shot for losing the, like, they'll do another step he'll win a number one contenders match I'm sure but why is he getting the number one contendership match he just lost to Roderick Strong Delver Team Dream is like everything he is like NXT incarnate at this point in all the bad ways. Like, he is the over-the-top dramatic matches. He's the the guy who thinks he's telling the wonderful story, but isn't. He's, he's the guy who thinks he's being really creative, but is just being unlikable when he's meant to be the good guy. He's just not very good. Like, he was a guy with a lot of potential and has seemed to get worse, but they pushed him more. Makes perfect sense. And again, to that audience, and it's always weird because it's a small audience in 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 full sale, and it's also kind of a lot of the reactions feel a little artificial. But he is over to a main event level in front of those eight hundred people. But are people invested in this guy? He wasn't over last week. Last week, like there was weird silence for his or two weeks ago when did he wrestle strong in the singles match happened two weeks ago uh, there, there was a weird silence for that match uh, like i was like as much as i'll give i don't think it made any sense uh, the, the the very end of the show felt like a hot angle it, like it, as i said re- wrestling has to appeal to your heart not to your brain but to your heart i think that felt like a, a hot angle you know the people were really into him finally getting his hands on cole i guess because he's gonna get a title match but like when you when you scratch at the surface of nxt and you realize and you see you see through the facade and you're like oh there's nothing underneath and it's like the substance of this entire show just is not there it's like optically when that crowd as you said uh, somewhat artificial somewhat performatively enjoy this show because there's weeks where it's very clear that when they're not performatively enjoying the show a lot of stuff dies a death and i don't think people are very organically over on this show but uh, th- that that closing angle felt you know the crowd were super into it when he was beating up adam cole and fending off undisputed era and you know it felt like a hot angle but scratch below the surface think about it for a minute and it just crumbles to pieces especially with everything velveteen dream has done since he's come back has been absolutely baffling it's like oh i'm gonna stalk this man's family and put his child on my crotch and i'm like wait wait babyface what and then i'm going to beat roderick strong which will lead to me having a cage match with roderick strong for reasons passing comprehension then everybody's going to interfere in that steel cage match then i'm going to deliberately lose that steel cage match so i can trap adam cole in the steel cage in which we have established people can get in and out of willy-nilly but I, I just don't I don't get it. It's there. There's no substance there, and every time you try to look for substance, it exposes the degree to which there is no substance there. And I always people will always say, "Oh, you're just nitpicking. You're picking holes." And I will always insist, good art should hold up 
to nitpicking. You know, they, diving deeper into storytelling should not make it worse. It should usually, if it's good storytelling, make it better. And very little of NXT's storytelling is made better by thinking about it. There's degrees to stuff that it's like, well, it's wrestling and you, you're over nitpicking. I think surface level thinking about the stories making sense is not that. I think that's called thinking about something. That's not nitpicking. That's that's engaging with the art. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, WWE is not meant to be engaged with. No, it usually punishes being engaged. With. <laughs> like even even like the, the show ending angle. Like he did all this. He he purposely lost the match to lock himself in the cage with with alone with Adam Cole. Bearing in mind that Adam Cole hadn't wrestled that night and he'd just wrestled a match. So he was locking himself in there with the champion when he was tired and the champion wasn't. And then it, it, it earned him about 30 seconds with Cole before Roddy also got in the ring. So he did all this elaborate setup, which I think maybe we're meant to think the only reason he was ever feuding was strong was to get to Cole was for 30 seconds in the ring in the cage with Dream. And maybe we're meant to think Adam Cole's going to get really mad by this this thing and he's going to grant him the, the title shot because he feels that um, he's been... But, like, it was a 30-second thing. Like, logically, Cole should just be like, no, screw you, lost the match. Why should you get a title shot? It's so annoying, this show, because you look at, like, the actual matches and aside from the cage matches in WWE are horrible, like, the wrestling on this show was pretty good. It's just... You can't, you can't think about a show. And if you can't think about a show, how can you enjoy it? You turn your brain off and mindless drone. I, I really do think, like, like Joe Lanza has the what color is Sasha Banks hair level of engagement. <laughs> like, legitimately, I think that's the only way you can enjoy the show. By, by taking absolutely everything you're given at face value. Which is not the way I consume anything. It's not the way I can consume anything. I will be driven crazy. I tried to do that with WWE last year. Listen to the episode of Shake Them Ropes where I tried to, to be positive and take everything from WWE at face value. I, I was broken very quickly. But but that I do think that's that's the only way you can really enjoy the storytelling is by taking everything they tell you at face value, what they say is true, and don't think about it. Otherwise, it does. it just crumbles. It crumbles to pieces. And not what they told you last week as true, what you told you this week as true, and then next week, ignore what they told you last week, because that's no longer true, because that's not what they're telling you anymore. So it's only true for the moment they're telling you it. Yep. As soon as it's gone, it's no longer true again. You can't think about it afterwards. You're not allowed, you're banned. It's amnesia entertainment. <laughs> you, as, like, uh, I joked that you're actively punished for engaging with what you really are like if you're if you think about the beats of, of the long term Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa story you're punished because it, then it doesn't make sense and if you think about the long term beats of the Undisputed Era against Velveteen to your dream story you're punished because again it doesn't make sense and that happens with pretty much everything on this show like you can tell I... I don't think I've ever done a WWE-related podcast before because the problem with doing a podcast is that it makes you think about it. And usually I just, like, it's I, I go, well, it's not for me, so I won't think about it, so I won't, I won't really engage with it. And I'll just, I'll pop in every now and again when a match gets hyped, and I'll enjoy the match and go, that was a cool match. 
and then this once you do me the the wonderful boon of inviting me to watch um, two hours of a, an okay but less good than most of the other dynamites that have been this year and then this show which is like a an okay nxt and i was like well that was an okay show now i need to think about it to talk about it oh no i've thought about it (laughs) oh no my mind do you know how often that happens? Like, like uh, if you remember before the show, I was telling you the format of the show is that we, we we decide which show is better, and I'm still on the fence about which show I prefer. And then we talk for about an hour, which is much longer than we usually talk about NXT. But you're a guest; we'll allow it for Tommy about WWE NXT. And I I can't in good faith say it was the better television show. It's bizarre because I am I am a guy who is about the wrestling. I'm the guy who who parachutes into lots of different promotions and watches the matches, and the wrestling on NXT was better than on Dynamite this week, in my opinion. Um, it may, It's a blurred a bit by how bad their stipulations for the cage matches are, but, like, the wrestling parts were probably better. Like, we're going to talk about what we thought was the best match of the week. I thought it was fairly comfortably the red dra- uh, red dragon i've done it again damn you david richards uh the undisputed era tag match i thought that was fairly comfortably the best match of the week and yet aw by having a, a slightly underwhelming show by their standards win by a mile by making sense <laughs> it's so easy for them the narrowest of margins <laughs> they they make sense <sighs> So there you go. That's NXT. <laughs> I, I don't think you'll be watching a full episode of NXT next week. <laughs> I hope I hope Larkin gets a house because <laughs> 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 this has broken my brain enough. This is broken my. This is the good WWE show. This is the good one. I came to a realization last week that Raw is probably a better show than NXT. Raw's three hours. Raw's three hours. Well, that's true. It's it's a, it's a slog. But, like, SmackDown is, like, the objective worst one. SmackDown's unwatchable. And then Raw is, like, it tries to be good and occasionally gets there. And then NXT is just kind of weirdly infuriating, even though there's good wrestling there. And it's just, why are all these shows like this? Why can't there... Oh, there is a good show. It's AEW Dynamite. But that's neither here nor there. Match of the week. What's your favorite match this week, Rob? Uh, I thought that uh, the Orkin and, Lur- Orkin and Lurch? Or Lorcan and Birch... Uh, versus uh, Undisputed Era tag match was very good. Uh, nothing like blow away, but like, you know, three and three quarter um, stars. That would be my favorite. I'm on the fence. Because it's either that or Jericho and Sammy against technically John Moxley and Darby Allen. See, that was more memorable. That's that's my problem. It's like, which of these matches will I remember? It feels more like a segment than a match, which is a weird wrestling thing that you can go like, well, I thought that was the, the match that was the better segment wasn't the better match, which is a very <laughs> wrestling nerdy thing, but that's just how I do it in my head, and I can't undo that. I can't mean- unthink about wrestling that way. But I, I would completely understand you saying that was the better thing. And I think I will, because I like Darby a lot. I, I will remember that match. And I, I, As good as the Undisputed Year against Lorcan and Birch match, in three years' time, do you think there's a hope in hell I'm remembering that random good tag match from this random episode of NXT? Probably not. Not a chance. Not a chance. 
And show of the week. Which show did you prefer? <laughs> NX. No. Um, yeah, if I didn't make it obvious, I thought, like, this was, uh, by this year's standards, quite an underwhelming dynamite. But uh, it made sense, so it wins. And again, uh, this is another episode of ours, uh, legit, like, legitimately on the fence. I'm like, I think both of these shows were, were decent, not great. And then we reach the end of this podcast of two hours of tearing these, like the length of watching one of those shows is the length that takes you to listen to this podcast that was tearing apart. And eventually I just reached the stage where it's like, I, I just can't give it to NXT. There's just, it's, it's, if they sat down and thought about what they're going to do for the next four weeks and then executed that story, maybe they'd get there. But no, they, they tried that in reverse and it doesn't make any sense. So yes, I'm also all the wrestling dynamite. Our fan poll, our wonderful 184 people voted in the Twitter poll, 84% for AEW, 16% for WWE NXT. So it is a 3-0 landslide. Boom. Before we go, Rob, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I don't have a lot of plug anymore now that I'm not doing much in regards to wrestling, but uh, you can still follow me for my wrestling takes over on Round B-R-I-T. W R E S round, um, or if you want to read me talk about darts, um, which I'm currently watching in the background, which I'm sure many of you do, many of you, uh, you can follow me at the R W T H E R D O U B L A. Or if you want to, uh, if you play Legends of Rude Terror, hit me up there because I am playing a lot of that at the moment, and I want people to play with. You can follow me on Twitter at GaraKidney, G-A-O-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WarGamesPod. Liam's not here, but I'm sure he'd tell you you can follow him on Twitter at Larrikin, L-A-R-I-K-N. If you'd like more elite coverage in your Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed, you see that little podcast, Everything Elite. They talk about a lot more than the television show. So you can listen to all things elite there. Or Shake Them Ropes covers all other WWE-related shows, and I think they cover other TV shows these days. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc